I just uh, spent a week with a bunch of 16-year-olds, and uh, they were way more excited than you are. Like, this is like, you guys are just, like, we're just sort of singing nicely, and everybody's really quiet, in your, and I don't expect you to have 16-year-old energy, okay? But we are here to worship God, and we're about to open his word, and that is an amazing and awesome privilege, is it not? We excited to be here today, to be together with the body of Christ, to see all this. Yes, yes. so let's get, uh, get some energy going here. And if you turn in your Bibles to uh, Daniel chapter 2, let me pull out my clicker here. Daniel chapter 2, that's where we're going to be today. Uh, there's a lot of stuff in Daniel chapter 2, and I'm not going to uh, just read it to you, so I'm going to do a lot of summarizing so you'll want to have that open so you can kind of follow along or maybe make some notes or, or whatever you, you do. Um, you can make it in the Pew Bible, too. If you didn't bring one, that's fine. Make notes in the Pew Bible. Surprise somebody next time they turn to Daniel 2. By way of reminder, we're beginning a new series that we're entitling Resident Aliens. Um, and, and this is meant to draw our understanding uh, in, in seeing that the stories of Daniel aren't just things that happened to Daniel way long time ago. Like, it's not just about Daniel, but how Daniel functions as an exemplar. Like, how his example, how his life teaches us how we ought to live in our exile. And that's the way the Bible talks. Um, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 19 says this. It says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but are fellow citizens with the saints, members of the household of God. And Philippians chapter 3 verses 20 and 21 says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will come and transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to make everything subject to himself. So according to these texts, we were, we were exiles. We were strangers. We were set apart from God's kingdom people. We, we didn't belong with God's kingdom people. But now because of Jesus, something has transformed us. Something has changed us. So much so that we can say, though we were formerly exiles and strangers, we didn't have a place or a piece of God of God's kingdom, now we have changed. Now we, are, now we are, are, are citizens of the kingdom of God. Now we are members of the household of God. And that is an incredible, beautiful, wonderful, awe-inspiring, worship-inspiring statement. We didn't have a place with God. Now we do. But, but that leads us then to make, a, I think, a correlation between how we exist in the world today. Because if now we are citizens of the kingdom of God, if we are waiting for God to bring that kingdom here, if we are waiting to see our citizenship take its, its full effect, if we are members of God's household, if we belong to him, then what does that say about the former things? What does that say about our former um, uh, allegiances and priorities and our ways of life? What does it say about how we live our life right here and right now. 1 Peter 1.17 says, nope, well, well, that's messed up. So ignore that one. Uh, 1 Peter 1.17 says, and if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deed, conduct yourself with fear through the time of your exile. If we call God father, if we call 
him our king, if we call ourselves members of his household, then we are in exile right here, right now. We are resident aliens. We don't belong where we live. We don't belong here. Our priorities are not the same as people who belong here. Our allegiances aren't the same as the people who belong here. Our practices and way of life are different than the people who belong here. Have you ever been to, like, Chinatown or Greek Town? Everyone speaks the same language. The shops are different. Everything's, you know, you have this, like, little colony in the midst of Chicago or Detroit or New York, or they have little Americas uh, overseas. You, you have this little, this little encased place that doesn't fit. It doesn't belong. It's, it's isolated. It separates itself from the, the outside world, and we are, in some ways, just like that. And Daniel is an expression of that. So um, let's dive into Daniel. I'm not going to go into all the information that I gave last week. If you're interested in that, then um, jump into uh, uh, last week's sermon online. In order to catch this story, you need to have a big picture view of the world. This is a big picture text. This is a big picture sermon. Let go of some of your own priorities. Let go of some of your own um, your own struggles, and think big picture with me for a moment because what we receive in Daniel chapter 2 is that King Nebuchadnezzar, the king of all the world, the king of kings, the the lord of lords, the king of all of the economies, the, the biggest army, the most money, everything, this guy is in charge of all of it. And he has had a bad dream. And he's troubled by this bad dream. He's disturbed about this bad dream. And so he gathers together all of his wise men. He calls his astronomers and his astrologers, his scientists, and the people that write the horoscope for the Neo-Babylonian times. He gets them all together in a room. And he says this to them. He says, I have had a terrible dream. No, no, I don't think that's how this is going to work. You tell me the dream and interpret it for me. Go. Please, King, you tell us the dream and we'll interpret it. No, 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 no. You don't seem to be listening to me very well. I said, you tell me the dream and you give me the interpretation or I will rip you limb from limb and burn your house down. Come on, Nebby, tell us the dream. We'll interpret it. You, you, you think you're buying yourself time. You think you're, you could convince me to do something different. No, my, my word is firm and fixed, and this is how it's going to be. You're going to tell me the dream, you're going to interpret it, or you will die. Dude, you're crazy. No one on earth can do what you're asking. So it went something like that. Something like that. Maybe not verbatim. She was supposed to say cray-cray, but she skipped it. <laughs> you get how ridiculous the king's request is, don't you? I mean, I, I think one of the things that's sad about the Bible is we read the Bible like in, in like the, the annoying or, or boring Ferris Bueller voice. Like, and the king said this, and then they said this. Now, this is supposed to make us laugh. It's supposed to be funny because that's perhaps the dumbest thing I've ever heard. You tell me the dream or I'm going to kill you? That's insane, right? I mean, that's ridiculous. It's outlandish. 
But we can also sense why Nebuchadnezzar might have wanted that to happen because he knows that he's had this troubling dream and he knows this. as soon as he says, uh, tells Cassidy what the dream was, Cassidy's a yes woman and she's just going to tell him, hey, Nebby, it's okay, don't worry about it, it's all right, don't, don't, don't fret. And, and, and Nebuchadnezzar wants the truth and he's not going to get it from all the people he surrounded himself with. So what is he going to do? Let's look at uh, Daniel chapter 2, verses 12 through 13. Owen, you're up. Daniel chapter 2, verses 12 through 13. You got to speak into it. Ah. Well, read really loud then. <laughs> There's dads to the rescue. It's yellow. All kinds of technical difficulties today. Orange. I can't see colors either. Go ahead. This made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree was issued to put the wise men to death, and the men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death. Thank you. It worked. We made it happen. (laughs) This seems like an overreaction to me. Anyone else? It seems like an overreaction to me to say that what we're going to do now is is uh, kill everyone who can't do this impossible feat. That seems kind of crazy, but I think it illustrates for us, and I think the scriptures are trying to illustrate for us the way that power works. The way that power works. The way that wealth works. The way that kingdoms work. This guy is afraid of losing everything. And it illustrates not just the way that Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon works, but it illustrates the way that America works, and China works, and and Russia works, and all these, these great kingdoms. It's not different today from when it was then. It's, it's the same way big companies work. It's the same way uh, big armies work. It's the same thing. We have power, and we're afraid of losing it, and we will do anything. We will kill anyone. We will lie through our teeth. We will do whatever it takes to maintain that power. And we see that play out on the big screen, right? I mean, we see that in the big picture world, right? Yes? And that's a big picture story, and, and, and that's what's going on. But I also think that may be a small picture story. Because I've seen people have little tiny kingdoms, and they're just as willing to fight over them. We see it in homes where fathers and mothers use violence and anger, verbal and physical abuse to maintain their control. We see it in, at work. How many times have you seen that with somebody who's got just a little tiny bit of control and it goes into their brain and suddenly they become tyrants over the most inane and meaningless things? How many times have we seen it in church? This is my ministry. It might be just like making sure communion comes out on, on Sunday morning, but if somebody else messes with your stuff, suddenly the church is on fire, right? And I said it. Like this is, this is the way we act, We get this little piece, this little kingdom, and we all do it, and we all have it, and we're afraid of losing that little kingdom. And so we will will fight, we will betray, we will shout, we will hate, we will hold grudges for years over the dumbest things. We'll divide a church over it. And so it makes me um, 
think that perhaps the sins, errors, and problems of the great kings and the great kingdoms of the earth are maybe not that much different from us and our little kingdoms. And we run into Daniel here, and Daniel provides a wonderful alternative, I think, to what we see in this, this panicked situation. And I think we're supposed to laugh at this, this whole thing that we're seeing here. The king, is, he's panicked, and he's afraid, and he's covering over this, this panic and this fear that he's had with this dream that he believes is going to come true. He's covered this over with, with violence and with anger and with frustration. And then all these wise people, all these astrologers and magicians and smart people, they're running for their lives. They're trying to escape Babylon. And here is Daniel. Here is Daniel. Daniel also, a wise person. And he is able to, in this situation, answer uh, pandemonium with faith. The guard kicks down his door. And Daniel looks up. And the king says, I, or, the, or the, the chief guard says, I'm here to kill you. And Daniel says, what's the rush? which is probably off-putting, right? I mean, somebody kicks down your door instead of grabbing for a gun or running out the back door, you say, hey, have you tried knocking? Like, like, calm down, buddy. That might be off-putting. And it's off-putting to this guy. And he tells Daniel why he's there. Daniel says, what's going on? And he tells Daniel why he's there. And I think that's like an incredible, incredible, situ- incredible situation. And it really reveals to us, I think, this thing is driving me nuts. Um, it illustrates, I think, really well the difference between a resident alien and a resident resident. Because a resident resident, when the election season comes, loses their mind. Don't we? Like, we, all of our reason, all of our ability to talk to one another without shouting or uh, throwing rocks, like, goes out the window and suddenly everyone's at each other's throat for, like, six months and then phew, back to, like, kitty pictures on Facebook. Like, we're done. Like, it's, we, this is what resident residents do. A, a bad or uh, unfavorable ruling comes down from on high and the sky's falling. Like, everything's going to be blown up and destroyed. Like, we're, we're losing everything. We uh, have a bad week. We have a bad tragedy in the, the country. Something crazy happens. And people come running to church. And they show up on Sunday morning. And then things level off. And now it's just when we fit at best. When we fit into their schedule. This is the way resident residents live their lives. But resident aliens are different. Resident aliens say, I'm not afraid. Resident aliens say, I have nothing to fear. Resident aliens say, my life is rooted and fixed upon God. It was rooted and fixed upon God yesterday. It's rooted and fixed upon God today. It will be rooted and fixed upon God tomorrow. And so whatever happened yesterday, whatever happens today, and whatever happens tomorrow, I feel no fear. I feel no panic. I'm not enraged. I recognize that God is sovereign. My faith is there. And because it's there, I don't fear. We see that in Daniel. And don't we want that? I mean, don't we really want that? I want to not be afraid. I want to not be panicked. I want to not worry about tomorrow. In fact, Jesus says, hey, listen, don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow has plenty of trouble of its own. Worry about today. Worry about the moment. 
In fact, don't worry about that at all because God loves, God protects, God preserves, God provides. He does it for birds. He does it for flowers. And you are more valuable than both of those things. So don't fret. We see that going on here. We, we, we see the difference between Christians who are resident residents and Christians who understand that we're supposed to be resident aliens. And here this time, I think, I just can't do anything right today. All right, forget it. Uh, first, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4 says this. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Because no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, since his aim is to please the one who has enlisted them. If we are soldiers, and this is what our theme was for the past like several weeks, we did this for like six or seven weeks, talked about the armor of God. If we belong, oh, there it is. There it is, excellent. Although I got it wrong still, because it's 2 Timothy. It's just, it's one of those days, guys. It's one of those days. It was a long week. Those 16-year-olds wore me out. My legs hurt so bad right now. I played basketball with these kids. They're like, let's play basketball. And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to play basketball. And I went in there and I, I competed for about 45 minutes. And that was like four days ago. I can barely walk. Like this is, I am not 16. Anyway, good. So what we recognize about, uh, what we recognize about being resident aliens is that we are called soldiers. We are part of God's family. We belong there. So much so that we don't get bothered by the civilian pursuits, the resident-resident uh, pursuits. Those things, those aren't our business. Our business, as we like to say here, is to share Jesus. That's our business. The world was insane yesterday. The world is insane today. And I guarantee you, flip on the news tomorrow, guess what? The world's going to be insane tomorrow, too. Don't worry about it. Our call is to share Jesus. That's what we're about. That's what we're called to. That's our mission. That's our excited, that's the gift that God has given as we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. That's the treasure that he has put inside of you. This mission he has sent you on to share Jesus, to be the person of faith, to stand firm no matter what happens. And I want you to notice that what uh, Daniel does next in verse 17 is he goes to his house um, and he makes it known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, the, the men who are, who are with him, the men who are with him. He makes it known to them this situation. He gathers the church. Do you see that? Daniel doesn't go to his closet and he just, doesn't just pray by himself. No, he gathers the church. And this is the heart of who we are as Oakland Drive Christian Church. And this is why our, our small church, our small group ministry isn't just a side thing. It is the heart of who we are and what we do. It's at our heart because I have to know Bill enough to be able to pray for Bill. And Bill needs a lot of prayer. <laughs> we are family. That's not just platitudes. That is not just something we say. That's something we are. That's a reality that we are living out. And if you want to live out family, you have to be able to go into the kitchen and make coffee without asking permission. Right? Yes. That's what we're after here. That's what we're after here. So much so that I can go to camp for a week and Laura can get a flat tire while I'm gone and not be able to get the tire off because she's not strong enough to get it off. And she can call Eric Najowski. Thank you for coming to the rescue, Eric. And he can come over and fix things. And all of that time that I'm gone, I'm not worried because I got a small church 
that knows my need. And we've got them on speed dial, and we can call. We are here for one another. Daniel represents that. He's not a lone wolf. He's not out there by himself. It's not just his personal relationship with God. No, it is the church that has gathered together, and together they pray. And as together they pray, what happens? God shows up. The kid gets it. That was great. That was an amen moment. God shows up when the church prays. And God reveals to this young man the message that he is then to give to the king. And he goes forth, and he goes to see the king. And as uh, he sees the king, and you, you can imagine that for a moment, I think. This again is the king of the world. This is the greatest empire on earth. He is taxing everyone. Nations are sending all their gold and their jewels. So imagine little old Daniel walking into the king's court. Imagine the throne that King Nebuchadnezzar might have had. Imagine the marble, the inlaid gold. Imagine everything encrusted in gems. Imagine this great king enthroned on high, looking down, and he leans over and he says, are you the one who has the answer? And Daniel says this in verse 26. He says, um, or verse 27, he says, no wise men, No enchanters, no magicians, no astrologers can show the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God. This I have underlined in my Bible, and I encourage you to do the same. There is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. Which I think is pretty incredible. Incredibly brave for Daniel to say, because in this line, Daniel confronts all of the beliefs of Babylon. It confronts all of the idols of Babylon. It confronts all of the priorities of Babylon. It confronts all of the presuppositions of Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar leans forward and Daniel says this, there is a God who reveals mysteries. He doesn't condemn. He doesn't uh, say, well, you're stupid because you're praying to idols. He doesn't say, well, you need to repent and change your life right now. No, he points to who? God, right? He points to God. Perhaps that's a lesson. Anyone catch that? Perhaps that's a lesson for us. Point to God, and God will do the rest. Point to God, and God will do the rest. And Daniel then proceeds to reveal to him this this, uh, dream, and this is uh, the rendering, I guess, that I found that I liked kind of the best, because he looks tough. Doesn't he? I mean, he looks tough. Yeah, yeah. I want those abs. Those are great abs. Here we go. So uh, this is the dream that he has had, and he, Daniel, reveals it. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar dreams of a great idol, a great statue, this great thing, and he recognizes it. In fact, this is foreshadowing for us what we're going to get next week as Paul preaches um, uh, from chapter 3. As Nebuchadnezzar actually builds this thing, which is supposed to be funny as well. So it is a head of gold. It is a chest and arms of silver. It is a mid-waist of bron- and thighs of bronze. And then it is feet of a mixture of iron and clay. And then there is a vision of a rock not cut out by human hands that comes forth and it strikes the feet and it crushes it all. 
Now what happens here, and I want to warn you of this, what happens here, what people get busy with all of a sudden, is they begin to turn this into a prophecy of the future. Like, let's now try to figure out, because these all represent layers of kingdoms, so let's try to figure out which kingdom is this one, and which kingdom is this one, and which kingdom is this one. And then we can kind of figure out then when God's going to do all of these things. Missing the point completely. Because the point is not this. The point is this. The point is that there is a kingdom that is coming that will supplant, that will destroy and supplant every other kingdom, be they big, be they small. They will be destroyed, and the kingdom that comes will fill the earth. We're going to read that passage now from Daniel chapter 2, verse 34, and um, go ahead. While you were watching, a rock was cut out, not by human hands, it struck the statue on its feet and the, with the iron and clay and smashed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were broken to pieces at the same time and became like chafe on a threshing floor in the summer. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace, but the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and refilled the whole earth. Good. And then Daniel explains the meaning. Go ahead and look at your Bibles, verse 44. So Daniel chapter 2, verse 44. In the time of those kings, the God of heaven was, will set up a kingdom in heaven that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to a, another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. Excellent. Thank you, Owen. What, what matters here in this text is this bit right here. What matters is that this great kingdom that's coming is going to strike, it is going to destroy, it is going to crush everything else that was there, and all of that will become like chaff in the wind. It'll just blow away, shattered and blow away. And this will become a great mountain, and it is going to fill the whole earth, that this kingdom of God is being foretold. And this is the message of all the prophets. All of the prophets said there is coming a day when God will come and God will judge. And in his judgment, he will judge the righteous and the unrighteous and remove the unrighteous. And those who have kept his commandments and his ways will be planted in his kingdom. God will come and God will do this. And he has revealed this great truth to the king of the mightiest empire in the world. And it might help us to understand then what Jesus means because Jesus comes on the scene and what does he proclaim? What does he preach? He shows up and he is baptized and he goes into the desert, into the wilderness. And then what happens next? Coming out of the wilderness, he begins to proclaim. And he says, the time is fulfilled. Repent and believe in the good news. The kingdom of God has come near. He says, the prophecy of Daniel has now come close to you because I am its king. It has come near to you. And we see this going on. This is what's created in the midst of the world, this come nearness of the kingdom. In the midst of the world, God is pulling together a people, a people who are going to be placed inside of that kingdom, a people who will not fade or perish or spoil or grow old who can play basketball with 16 year olds and and live to tell about it right this is what god is creating right here and right now as we await as we talked about earlier our citizenship to be fulfilled when jesus comes and brings that kingdom here and this is good news to the world this is our great and glorious good news this is the cosmic 
vision of the scriptures, the cosmic vision of the Bible, the cosmic vision that we are trying to communicate to you, that you can communicate to everyone else. This is what we mean by share Jesus, that God has pulled a people together and made them holy so that they can go forth and declare a heralding warning to repent, to turn your life around because the rock is coming. The rock is coming. And it's great news for those of us who belong in that kingdom. And it's terrible news if you don't. And my hope today is that each and every one of you receives that good news, repents, changes, turns your life around so that you can have a place in that kingdom because God transforms us here and now. He changes us here and now. He fills us with life here and now. But this is just a foretaste, just a shadow, just a late light image of what God is going to do. What God is up to. Nebuchadnezzar is amazed by this. He's confounded by this. And he says in verse 47, the king answered and said to Daniel, truly your God is the God of gods, the revealer of mysteries. Truly your God is the God of gods, the Lord of kings, a revealer of mysteries. What's interesting to me about all of this is if I stand back from all of the problems in my life, do you have any problems you brought with you today? No, Margie, no problems. God bless you. You need to come and give me some life advice. Your fears, your addictions, your sins, your grudges, your guilt, we all brought something with us dragging it behind us and what this text allows us to do is for a moment step back and see what God is going to do you know it's interesting if if we went out of here today and you stopped the first person you met on the street and you said hey tell me about tell me what you know about Babylon and King Nebuchadnezzar what are you going to get out of that person what are you talking about, right? I mean, I, I don't even know, what you're, is that a real name? Are you making something up? Like, but this is the key, this is what it was. For, for hundreds of years, this is what it was. The greatest empire in the world, the greatest king of the world, and now what? The empire is dust. The king is but a memory for scholars reading dusty books. All of the power, all of the greatness, all of the trouble, all of the trial, all of the blood spilled out by these great empires. All of this that seems so magnificent, so powerful, so insurmountable, now nothing. And if we stand back and we catch that great glimpse of what God is doing, the cosmic vision that God has for the world, we would say the kingdoms of the world that are calling us to give our allegiance, that are calling us to give them our priorities, that are calling us to give them our lives, we would say you're nothing. If we looked at our trials and our temptations, if we looked at all the things that are facing us in our small little microcosms, in our mini kingdoms and the things that we are struggling with, we would look at it and we would say, man, that stuff is just passing away. All of it going to shatter and be cast about into the wind like chaff. 
So what do we have to be afraid of? What do you have to be afraid of today? What do you have to fear about tomorrow? See, in the moment, once we've rooted ourselves in that great cosmic vision, once we understand that we belong to this kingdom that's coming, and once we firmly fix ourselves on that great hope, once we are there, we are able to see fear and answer it with faith. We're able to answer the pandemonium of the world with prudence. We're able not to panic. We're able to be firm and fix and I think that's something the world needs to see I think they need to see a church that's not worried about tomorrow a church that isn't troubled by its own troubles because we have rooted ourselves in Christ and his great and glorious hope would you flip to the next slide I don't have my clicker go to there it is nope that one back I love this verse nope back I love this verse. Hebrews 12, 28. Therefore then, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Though the waters rise, though the winds howl, though the storms batter and beat, the kingdom that cannot be shaken. And so then, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and with awe. As we come to this moment of kind of conclusion, of course, you're invited to come forward if you need to make a decision or if you need to make, uh, if you need prayers, we'll have an elder down here, I'll be down here. Um, We can pray with you. But most of all, right now, I want to invite you to worship. I want you to be excited. I want you to recognize what Jesus has done for you. And I want you to be just in awe of all that God is going to accomplish, of all that God will destroy, of all that God will build, of all that God wants to do with you, of all that God has done with you, of all that God. Will you worship with me this morning? Will you worship with your whole being and your whole heart, giving thanks to God for the kingdom that he is building for us? Jesus said, I'm going away to prepare a place for you. My Father's mansion are many rooms. There is a room in God's house with your name on the door. A room in God's house with your name on the door. Let's stand. Let's stand.